every router that came before Ember that I'm aware of basically said, okay, you know, here's a URL. If the if the browser matches that URL, then run this function. And it was up to you to do the correct setup. And people just screwed this up all the time. Episode 88, April 2015. In this episode, Tom Dale, JavaScript developer and EmberJS core member, explains MVC in Ember, how the state manager and Ember container works, as well as why the Ember router has a very good reputation. This episode is sponsored by the Draplin Design Company and Field Notes. How does MVC work in Ember? What is new and different for people coming from Backbone or Ruby and Rails? Well, from Rails, it is is very different. MVC in Ember is much more similar to the original MVC, actually, Smalltalk MVC, the MVC used by frameworks like Coco, in the sense that these objects are long-lived. You have controllers and views that are stateful, and they change over time. And that's actually something that trips up a lot of people who are coming from Rails to Ember. Did this happen to you? Actually, I didn't find it too confusing, but maybe because I stumbled a little bit into Backbone before. Ah, okay, yes. Backbone will, will is more similar to the Ember style. But in Rails, HTTP is a stateless protocol. So every time a request comes in, it goes to your router, the router gets the controller, the controller gets the model data, it renders a template, it shuts down, and that object is destroyed. So every request, you're starting with a brand new, fresh world. Uh, which is very nice, actually. It turns out to be, it's very easy to reason about as a programmer. But on the client side, you have these really rich, stateful UIs that as the user clicks and drags, they don't go away and you create new ones. They just live for a long time and they have all this state on them. Again, much more like the Cocoa model. So that trips up a lot of people. And and actually what's interesting, one thing that we have learned from React that you get as part of Ember 2.0 and Glimmer is a programming model that is much more similar to the Rails style of re-render the world, right? In Rails, you basically re-render the world every time you get your model data, you re-render the entire thing, and then you spit that out to the client. And with Ember 2.0, like React, you have a similar mental model where you can just say, render everything over again, but because the engine knows how to just do a diff and only apply the pieces that have changed, you get really great performance as well. Back Backbone just doesn't again, do very much, you know, so like backbone views are just a very thin object that says, listen for these events. And when these events change, you have to know how to render it. Backbone's great for two use cases, in my opinion. The first is embedding. So if you're writing a library that people are going to embed in their website, you know, a good example is uh, intercom. So intercom is a service that lets you embed a, a widget that users can click on and they can chat with you. They can send you messages. Uh, we use it in Skylight for customer support. It's really awesome. Their web app is an Ember app. So they use Ember, but they also have a library that you embed on your website that adds the button. And obviously, if I wanted to add intercom to my website and I had to include you know, several hundred K of a JavaScript framework, I, that wouldn't be okay. So, so Backbone's really great for very small targeted widgets like that that you're embedding because it's so small. And the other case I think that's good is uh, so-called islands of richness. So for example, on the New York Times website where Jeremy used to work, or maybe he still works there, I'm not sure, they would have these interactive graphs, like D3 graphs. And those were you know, very small. Uh, I, think, I think it was Jeremy that coined this term, islands of richness. 
where there are these islands of richness where it's a traditional page and you're just adding a little bit of interactivity. I think those are two really great use cases for Backbone and the smallness and the light and the lightweightness of it pays dividends and you don't start and you don't outgrow your complexity budget. Can you explain the state manager in detail? Uh, well, I would say the state manager is going away. Yep. So this, the state manager, gosh, I haven't thought about this. I don't think actually there's anything that still uses the state manager in the current release. The state manager was, uh, in theory, a pretty cool idea. It's actually something I learned while I was working on Sprout Core at Apple, which is this notion of there's a concept called a state chart. But a, a state machine is a way of modeling the states that a system can be in. So basically, you can represent the state as an object, and that object receives messages. And in response to those messages, it can transition state. So this is just a way of rigorously thinking about a complex system. So uh, here's an example. In Ember Data, we would use a state machine to model records. So when you first get a record, it's in the empty state. We don't know what's going on with it. Then we say, oh, we don't actually have this record, so we need to go load it from the server. Well, now it's in the loading state. Then once the server delivered the information back, now it says, okay, it gets a message that says this record has loaded. So then it transitions from the loading state into the loaded state. Then on the client, you change the name you know, to Peter, and then it goes into what we call the dirty state. Dirty just you know, having nothing to do with dirt, but just meaning that it has changes that we haven't saved back to the server yet. And then we save it, and it goes into the clean state again, right? So there's all these ways. Uh, it's, it's just a more formal way of modeling the different states that an object can be in. So state manager was just, a, uh, was just an implementation of that, but it wasn't particularly, the API wasn't particularly good. Okay, everybody, my name is Aaron James Draplin. Just got done telling you about my whole life, uh, the good, the bad, the gross, the ugly, the weird, the sinister, the awesome. And now you need to go to draplin.com and buy some killer merch, draplin.com backslash merch, and things that you need, right? Okay, you need to go there and look at this stuff. And then when you're done with that, you need to go to fieldnotesbrand.com and get some memo books. We'll ship them anywhere. If you're listening to this in Vienna, Austria, or Vienna... Illinois, hell, wherever that is, we will we'll ship them there too. Okay, fieldnotesbrand.com. You need these things. $9.95 for a three-pack. Would you pay for coffee today, right? Right, right? You need this stuff. So draplin.com, fieldnotesbrand.com. And uh, yeah, those are, the, those are the only two links you need in your life. There you go. Can you explain the container, how it works and its function? Oh, yeah. Oh, the container's awesome. Yes, yes, absolutely. Uh, the container's really exciting. And the container is uh, in our implementation of what's called dependency injection. And this is an idea that we got from Angular. Angular's had this for a very long time. And we realized that Angular had some facilities that we didn't have. So we very liberally stole some good ideas from them and, and improved on them. So here's the notion of a container and why it's so cool. So a few years ago, when you were writing your application. The way that people would do this is they would have controllers and they would have views and they would have models. And each of those objects would be a global singleton. So you would say, you know, app.myController equals object.create and it would be a brand new object. Great, you're running the application. 
and everything is fine. You need one controller, you create one controller. You need two views, you create two views. Done. Very simple. However, this system starts to break down when you need to test, right? Because if you're writing a series of tests, you write one test, you say, click this button, add this model, render this view. Does the HTML on screen look like this? Great. Okay, that's your test. Now you start running the second test, but there's a problem, which is all the crap that you did before, you know, you have a single object and you've now changed, you've modified that object. So now you have two options. One, you can write your test knowing about what happened with the previous test, which as you can imagine is extremely brittle because now another developer goes and adds a test in the middle and now all of your tests have broken. You, you, you do not want to do this. It's generally considered a very bad idea. Or you can try to get that object back to its initial state. So you write the test, you test it, and then you'd have some cleanup code and you would say, okay, you know, now set this property back to the initial value and destroy this view. And you have to write a lot of custom code to clean it up. And that is also very brittle for two reasons. One, people just forget to do it. And two, if someone changes the implementation of one of these objects that you're testing, now the cleanup that you thought you were doing is no longer sufficient enough. And now all of the tests after that one are failing for mysterious reasons and you lose hours, if not days, trying to debug it. These are all really bad things. And we want people to be able to build testable apps. So what is the container? So the container is simply an object that you can register object classes in. And so, you, so for example, you tell the container, here is the class. So you don't build object instances. You define your entire application as classes. And then you can create a new instance of that class very easily, right? So in Ember, instead of saying controller.create, you say controller.extend, which will create a new subclass. Okay, great. So you just say, here is a controller named my controller. And here is the class that implements it. Now, what happens is that when your Ember application starts up, instead of getting that class directly, it goes to the container and it says, give me the controller named my controller. And the container will create that instance and it will hand it to you, but it will also keep track of it. It will basically keep a little memo saying, I have created a controller called my controller and here is where I can find it. Now, here's what's so cool. You write your test, your test starts up your app. It says, click this button, change this model, render this view. Does, does the HTML look like what I expected to look like? Great, now your test ends. But instead of having to go do the cleanup code, you just say, I have a container. It has all of the objects I created for this test. Destroy them and throw it away. So this makes testing much easier. It makes it makes resetting the application much easier. And it had some benefits that we're only beginning to realize, which is that in Fastboot, you're running your application on the server. But you don't want to, you know, when you're running your application in the browser, there's one application and one user. Great. But when you're running the same app on the server, it can be handling hundreds of requests at once. And it turns out that this container infrastructure actually allows us to build an extremely scalable system on the back end because you can have a single application running loaded in memory and it can create a container for each request that it's servicing. And that is a way of isolating it so that one user doesn't accidentally get the data from another user. Yeah, it's actually surprisingly simple. Once you wrap your brain around it, it's just, it's a thing, a service where you ask it for an object and it gives you that object back and it just keeps track of it. So you can easily destroy all of those objects that you asked for easily. The router in Ember has a very good reputation. What makes it so special? Well, uh, what makes it special is that it was the first time, I think, that anyone tried to seriously map the URL 
onto application state, onto the state of the application. Um, before, every router that came before Ember that I'm aware of basically said, okay, you know, here's a URL. If the browser matches that URL, then run this function. And it was up to you to do the correct setup. And people just screwed this up all the time. And the Ember router, you remember a little bit earlier I was talking about the state machine? The Ember router models your application state as a state machine, as a hierarchical state machine. So uh, again, this is a very rigorous way of just modeling the state of the application. So our router means that no matter what you do, it, kind of like we were talking about before, where you have the single source of truth, the single place that says this is what templates and what models are on screen at any given time, that's what the router is modeling. And it can keep, it doesn't matter how you change models, it doesn't matter how you change routes, it doesn't matter how you get templates on screen, the Ember router will keep the URL up to date with whatever changes you make. Prior to the Ember router, most JavaScript apps just felt totally broken. Like the back button wouldn't work. You couldn't refresh the page. The URL wouldn't even update. You would click around, the URL wouldn't update. And if you tried to share it with a friend, it just wouldn't work. And that was so frustrating. No wonder people thought that JavaScript was terrible because it, it led to terrible experiences. So the router basically uses the URL as the way to instrument the entire application. So the only way that templates get on screen, the only way that models get on screen is through the URL. And then once you change those models or those templates, the router is responsible for keeping them up to date. So every time that you make a change in your app, you don't have to think, okay, well, how do I get the URL up to date? It all just happens for free.